Okay, I want to take a few minutes now and just kind of set the stage of the morning by just hitting a couple of the highlights of Kale's ministry history throughout his years here at First Baptist Church. Now, unlike a lot of us, Kale actually virtually was born here, not actually in the building, but really close to this building, and very shortly thereafter was a part of this church. And, and the fact that his entire life has been serving the Lord through the ministry of this church is no small deal. And coming up through the high school ministry and a part of the 180 Noise worship team and graduating in 2009 doing that and jumping into the well ministry, the young adults ministry, and being a, an important part of establishing a worship team there in that ministry as well. And then eventually in 2013, well, he, he began to serve in the extreme middle school ministry as an assistant there for a while. And then in 2013, uh, he took the leadership of the extreme middle school ministry and did that from 2013 to 2015. Um, he's told his story before. I'm not going to try and do any of those things, but through the circumstances of his life uh, and his jobs and the things God was doing in his heart, ultimately an opportunity opened up for us to hire Kale on our maintenance staff, and uh, we did that in September of 2013, so he's been on staff with us for uh, seven years now, but he began in maintenance, and then in 2015 is when we hired him as our full-time youth pastor. And he served as our youth pastor here um, in Ignite for four years from 2015 to 2019. And I want to say this, because in each of those instances, and in all of those different areas of ministry involvement anyway, each of the positions that Kale had, he worked very hard to secure his own replacement before moving on to the next step. And actually, that's a really important quality for anybody in ministry. But when he was in his youth, I mean, when he was in the youth ministry, um, well, you know how youth ministry is. Youth ministry is a lot of fun. It's a lot. It's very responsible, important ministry, but but it's a lot of fun. And so the youth ministry actually afforded Kale the opportunity to exercise a little more of his creative side. There's just too many memories, and and hungry has no idea what they're in for. Okay, so a <laughs> little bit more serious. And let me just say to to add to that that it. It's just his, his life has been surrendered with Brooks. Their life has just been surrendered to do whatever, to reach people. And uh, having fun is certainly acceptable. So um, ultimately surrender to the Lord concerning missionary service during our Reach Missions Conference, which was in November of 2012 at the time when the Lord really spoke to his heart. He and Brooke visited Hungary for the very first time. In 2014, Erlen and I were with him, actually, when we went to our first summer camp there, and virtually every year has been back to Hungary. I know some years a couple of times. And then just this last year, obviously, took the ultimate step of faith by surrendering his ministry position here as the youth pastor, which, by the way, is no small thing. You know, life was pretty comfortable here um, to go out and to raise the funds so that he can serve the Lord vocationally in Hungary. And during the pandemic and all the stuff, God was faithful to raise the funds that he needed and, and to go above and beyond. It's such a very, very exciting thing. And listen, we, we're very proud of what the Lord has done through you guys. And uh, we are here to celebrate that today and to send them out in the right way, in the most appropriate, memorable fashion that we can 
Uh, in just a minute, Cale's going to come up here, and he's actually going to be preaching for us, and so you can enjoy that again. Uh, and then when he's done preaching, um, we have some other things that we're going to be doing for them uh, before this morning is over. Um, so before that time, let's just go ahead and stand up and take a few minutes and greet one another, and then Cale come up and preach for us. It's, uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to get to preach up here. Um, as you can, thank you for the video, by the way. That was actually, that was awesome. Um, it was cool to relive all those memories. Uh, as you can tell from the video, I have always taken youth ministry very seriously. And I was also skinnier and, and more fit before I was a dad. So may, maybe someday I could do that again. Um, but man, it is, like I said, it's, it's always an honor and a privilege to, to come up here and to preach. I have grown up at this church uh, literally since I was born. And, uh, and, and to get to stand in the same place where so many great men of God have stood and opened God's word to preach it is, uh, I, I never get over that. Um, this, this right here, uh, this whole building's a special place, this church is a special place, but this area right here is uh, hallowed ground, and uh, I don't take it lightly. Um, man, this is, uh, let me just say this first of all, thank you all for the amazing support that you've always given us, but especially in the last year or two. Um, it's, I, I know you guys have prayed for us, so many of you have reached out to us, uh, Constantly, we, we've not felt alone in this process at all, whether it was uh, on fundraising or uh, going to New York, uh, you know, which was a crazy thing, um, going to New York during COVID to, to, you know, try and secure our visas. That was, uh, all of that, you guys were with us the entire time. So thank you for praying. Thank you for uh, being with us and supporting us. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, I know it's always awkward to talk about this, but thank you for sacrificially giving to support us. I honestly... Um, it, I'm humbled with, with how giving you guys all have been and how generous. And this is, a, this is not a normal year. Uh, I, I know that like the last couple of years, you know, our country has had you know, maybe an economic boom, but this last year has not been that. And uh, you guys have still been reaching out and, and supporting us financially, not just prayerfully, um, and trusting the Lord. And, th and that's just so humbling um, to me. And so thank you all for doing that. Anytime I see, which I have seen multiple times, uh, you know, kids under 18, put a dollar in the plate with our name on it that just touches my heart and uh, thank you guys so much for how you guys have supported us and just have been our family um, it's different for for me I, I was telling the other guys this earlier this week that uh, a lot of churches you know they might have a bible institute in-house like we do and uh, those churches typically are in like big cities <laughs> um, and so people will like move to that city to go to that church to like go through the bible institute and be sent out and and I'm sure that when they do that it's sad um, but it's just different. This hits different because uh, I didn't move here to go to college. I, I've, I've been here my entire life. And so to leave um, is not easy. So this is a surreal moment. I, I'm not sure if I like it or not. Um, but what I do know is it's been an honor and a privilege to grow up and serve at the First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia. Uh, you're all my family. This place has been my home for 30 years. Um, I remember a lot of things over the years. Uh, I remember... Man, if you've been here a while, uh, I remember when I was a kid going uh, to vacation Bible school in, uh, in the library, which used to be in the children's hallway over here. It's now the toddler room. And uh, Miss Judy would lead vacation Bible school, and she had, like, finger puppets and stuff. I don't know. I remember all that. Miss Judy, <laughs> I remember that. Um, I remember after church service, um, when Pastor Mark would be done preaching at about 2.30, we would... <laughs> uh, uh, 
we would uh, go over to the, the children's wing and then we would beg our mom to let us uh, rent a new VeggieTales VHS from the library and check it out and bring it back the next week so we could get another one. Um, I remember as a teen, uh, Halo parties at the 180 building. Um, I remember that god-awful carpet that has, was all throughout the building that needed replaced, and we were playing. It's hard to forget it because it's still right here. Um, <laughs> so maybe someday we can <laughs> we'll get to that point. Uh, I, I remember uh, the coffee shop in the barn. I remember uh, when we had a, a little bookstore over here, you know, the typical big Baptist church staples. We, we had all those at one point, and I uh, bought you know, my first Bible uh, that I bought myself. I bought over there. And um, man, if you've been around a while, a lot of things have changed. You know, new buildings, new ministries, new pastors. But that's not bad. You know, it's changes, changes often good. But you know what has never changed? And I can attest to that for at least the last 30 years. Um, our stance on this book has never changed. And this church's desire to reach the lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ has never changed. You can't say that about a lot of places out there. I mean, seriously, there's, there's so many churches out there that, that have changed and not for the better. Um, but this church, regardless of what music is played, what clothes are in style, uh, which pastor is here, has always stood firm on those two things, that God preserved his words perfectly in this book right here. Not, not some uh, ancient manuscript that I can't find. Right here, this book, every word of it's perfect. And because of that, I can know what he says. And he's left us with a mission to reproduce sons and daughters of God. Our church has always stood firm on those two things. And I count it a privilege to be a part of a church that has done that for 162 years. This church invests the word of God in people constantly through the pulpit ministry on Sunday mornings, through Sunday school hour training, through midweek fellowship and life groups, through one-on-one discipleship through ministry tools and training, through Living Faith Bible Institute. By the way, if you're new, we have all of those things right here at this church. And at this church, over the course of your life, you can literally go from the nursery to being an ordained pastor. Like, that's not just like a slogan. Like, that's a thing that we do here. And uh, humbly, I stand before you as a proof of that. You can go from the nursery to being an ordained pastor. Um, And if you'll just simply be willing and available and get on the path, those big red circles out there, we mean it. If you do that, we'll get you to where God wants you to be. The vision that this church has for seeing every member in this church being a minister, regardless of whether you're going to be a pastor someday or not, we believe that every member should be a minister, not just the people on staff at this church. And, uh, and that's a very special thing. There's, where else around can you, can you find that? There's not a lot of places. This place is very special. And it's very special to me personally. Like I said, this place is my home and I've known many of you for large portions of my life, and some of you I've known my entire life, uh, which is crazy. So to leave this place is is very difficult for me. It's not easy. I I know that some kids, when they graduate high school, they're excited to to go off to college and to move to the big city and experience all the things that apparently they missed out on while growing up here. Um, Man, and it's not wrong to to leave. I just, I I was never like that. Um, I never wanted to leave, not indefinitely. Like, I traveled, I did things. But I was content being here. I, I love this city. I love this area. I love being a Buckeye. I love this church. Cleveland Browns. You know, just random Ohio things. Just start saying things, you know. OH. Uh, 
I love my family and my friends, and I love this church. And if it was my choice, honestly, I'd, I'd never leave this place. I, I would just, uh, I'd grow old here, serving here with you guys. Um, but serving God requires us to place his desires above our own comfort. And so today is the day that I finally say farewell. Um, I'd like to share with you guys a short message this morning from 2 Corinthians, where uh, if you want to grab your Bible there and turn to the last chapter, we're studying through that book uh, verse by verse, and so I'm not hopefully going to steal any thunder, not, well, not at least from like the, you know, the near future, but uh, I want to look at a verse at the end of the book. As with many of Paul's writings, the last chapter of this book um, the last chapter of many of his books, or the last passage, is some sort of farewell to the, to the readers, to the audience. And sometimes we tend to gloss over those when we read uh, because they, they seem like they're just formalities. Uh, a prolonged period of salutation at the end of an otherwise stimulating epistle that Paul wrote. Maybe even a, a boring conclusion where Paul just says goodbye. But I, I think we should pay attention to these departing words of Paul that he signs off with at the end of his epistles. And if for no other reason, they're just as inspired as John 3.16 is. But they also show the reality of what was actually happening in history. We get, we get a peek behind the curtain of the humanity of Paul and these people in this book. The intros and the outros of each letter that Paul writes sends us back in time to see just a glimpse of this great man of God as he dips his quill in ink or clears his throat to start speaking to the amanuensis who will pen his words on paper. Paul sits down to intentionally communicate with a literal body of believers in the first century whom he loves, and he greets them in the name of the Lord, and then he reproves and rebukes and exhorts them through the majority of his epistles. And then when he's just about finished, he lands the plane. He leaves some parting words, and he wishes them well, and he signs off. And in 2 Corinthians 13, there's a verse at the end here that's been in the back of my head for the last couple of months is, I've been thinking about when the time comes, what uh, will be my last words to you all when it's finally time for us to leave. And that, that verse is verse 11, and we're going to study it briefly this morning. It says in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 11, it says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. At the end of Paul's second epistle to the Corinthian church, he wishes them farewell. And he leaves them with four exhortations that I want to briefly look at this morning. Four things that I think are obviously biblical, but I think that they're practically perhaps the most relevant and appropriate things that could be said to our church today. And prayerfully, this is what I would like to leave with you all this morning as well. So the first thing that he tells them to be after he says, finally, brethren, farewell, he, is, he, he communicates to them that, number one, they need to grow into maturity grow into maturity. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. And we all know here that the biblical definition of perfect is not the same as sinless. Nobody can be perfect in that regard. Christ was the only man who was ever sinless. But it doesn't mean sinless in the Bible. That's not what perfect means. It means to be mature. It means to be complete, right? That is what Paul is exhorting them with First, he's saying be perfect, be mature, be complete in your faith. And if you aren't currently, become it. Set your trajectory to become mature in the Lord. Grow in maturation and seek to get to a place of real maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he tells them. Jesus' words in Matthew 5 and verse 48, he's, he communicates that. We could do a whole word study on perfect. We're not going to. You guys know it. But Jesus says, be ye therefore perfect. Even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. 
If that wasn't attainable, he wouldn't tell us to do it. That doesn't mean sinless. It means perfect. It means complete. It means mature. So biblical perfection and maturity, that should be the lifelong goal and pursuit of every believer. Not just deacons, not just pastors, but of every believer. And growth happens in our walk with Christ as we daily seek to learn and to emulate Christ. And we do that through discipleship, right? We do that through gathering together and learning from God's word. We do that through Christian fellowship with one another within the body. We do that individually through daily time in God's word. We do that through daily prayer and spending time with him. We do that through enduring trials and tribulations and learning to be more like him. Growing into maturity is the idea that you are being perfected each day. And today might not be as good of a day as yesterday was, but generally speaking, your trajectory is upward. That's the idea. We're getting closer to him and to looking more like him. You're growing stronger in the Lord each day so that you're not blown about by every wind of doctrine. You're, you're not blown about by every slate of men in cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive like, like children. We grow to be men and to be women of God. And at this church, Christian, you have every opportunity to grow in your faith. In fact, if you aren't growing and maturing in this church, it's not the church's fault. I'm going to be a little fiery today because I'm leaving, so <laughs> you can't fire me. I guess you could drop my support. That's not good. All right, I'll, I'll change that. If you're not growing in this church, it's because you don't want to. Let me just say that. You have every opportunity. So let me just echo Paul and exhort FBC to be perfect. Grow into maturity. In other words, man, get on the path practically. Attend, learn, engage, lead. That's the vision. Get on that path. Be faithful. Be a student. Be a doer, not just a hearer. And be a servant leader. Be a minister. And let me, let me just say over here to the youth, I guess, are you guys, I don't know, you're probably spread out just because it's been a weird year, but I know 180 is over here. Extreme, you're probably mingled in. Um, let me just say, man, I, I, was, I served in youth ministry 10 years. I was a youth pastor for four um, I love youth, but man, can I just talk to you guys for a second? You can be anything you want to be when you grow up. You can be anything you want to be. And, and man, so many kids, they get so excited to just leave and, and say, I'm going to OSU or whatever big school and, and put God's stamp of approval on it and say, I prayed about it. Awesome. I, I guess that's great. But man, would you consider like serving the Lord with your life? You can do that. You can do that. You can do that. You can, you can decide like right now. When I was 16, I knew I wanted to be a pastor. That's okay. You can have that goal to work towards if you want. You don't have to. But you can set that goal, and then right when, why not when you get out of high school, you stick around and, and, and get a job or take classes at the branch or whatever and, and do adult discipleship right when you get, graduate. And then when you do that, go into MTT. And then when you finish that, go into LFBI. Why not? You can do that. I mean, my wife, Brooke, she's told me before that when she was a kid, she wanted to marry a, she wanted to be a pastor's wife. That's what she tells me. And I don't know if that's just a cute story but man, I think it's true, and I just think that's awesome. Like, why not? Just, just whatever you do, just set your course to grow towards the Lord and include him on all the decision-making. And man, you won't, you, you, you won't regret that. It, it'll be an adventure. So church, seek to grow, seek to reproduce that in others. If you aren't growing, you're dying. So grow, be perfect. Number two, we're gonna go quicker. Trust God's word. Trust God's word. He says, finally, my brethren, be perfect, or farewell, be perfect, be of good comfort. And the reason I say trust God's word is because 
The only way to be of good comfort in this world is to know the source of all comfort. The word of God, especially in the day we're living in. Good luck finding comfort outside of this book. You're not going to find it. We can only have comfort in this world by trusting in what God says in his word. And, and, and just as an example, Paul, speaking specifically about the, the rapture of the church to Thessalonica in the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, he's talking about the rapture of the church. And I don't know about you, but like, especially nowadays when we're like, man, could the rapture be soon? Sometimes you get a little antsy, you get a little anxious, and it's like, oh man, I, so much unknown, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, you know what Paul says that talking about the rapture should do? 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. The word of God speaking about the soon coming of the Lord of Jesus Christ, that should comfort us. It, it, it really should. So we be comforted. We, we, we are comforted by the word of God and trusting in his promises and, and not the lies that the world tells us, right? And so it's, it's Romans 12, 2 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those are the only two options. That, that's it. You're either going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the word of God and look more like him, or you're going to be conformed to the world. There's, there's no in-between. You're either filling your mind with the things of this world, which thoughts turn into actions, and you start doing the things of this world, or you fill your mind with the word of God, and you start doing the things of the word of God. And so we have to trust God's word, and when we do that and we get in it and we trust his promises over everything we even see, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's when we can have true comfort. That's when we can have the peace of God that, that passes all understanding. And when we have that comfort, we can use that comfort that God uses to comfort us so that we can comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And so when God gives you that peace that passes understanding through spending time with him in his word, and then someone else is going, you know, there's a lot of loved ones passing away right now for any number of reasons. And you know what? You can reach out and you can comfort those people because God has comforted you at some point in your life. That's what the church is for. So church, take comfort in his promises. He's coming soon. He really is. There's no need to get wrapped up in this world of politics and hot takes and anger and division. Be of good comfort. Number three, minister in unity. Minister in unity. Paul says, be perfect, be of good comfort. And then third, he says, be of one mind. And I want to camp here for just a sec. I think this is the main thing I really wanted to communicate this morning. Because as a man who spent his entire 30 years of life at this church, I've seen a lot of things. And I think the single most important way that this church will continue to grow and strive as a body for the gospel is this. Be of one mind. Or in other words, minister together in unity. And there's some misconception out there in the world about different verses in the Bible that talk about unity. There's been doctrine dropped in the name of unity. There, righteousness and holiness have been downplayed in the name of unity. Judgment has been negatively critiqued. In the name of unity, as if, you know, you can't judge me, God, only God can, is like comforting to someone. Unreal. Let me just say, let me say this, because I, I feel like this is one of the most often uh, quoted misnomers here about unity in the Bible. Unity, especially here, has nothing to do with the relationship between the church and the lost world. The, the world is at enmity 
with God. And by extension, us. So don't justify sinful, worldly living in the name of unity. But also, within the church, unity does not require us to drop divisive doctrines, quote-unquote, divisive. On the contrary, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Unity does not imply some ecumenical New Age drum circle where we hold hands with all the false teachers in our community and sing Kumbaya in the name of love. You can put that on a bumper sticker. In, in this passage, Paul is speaking to a local church, a local body of believers. And he says to them, to that church, be of one mind. This church, First Baptist Church of New Philly, needs to minister together in unity. It needs to be of one mind. Romans 15, verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you, believers, to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Now, the unity is always based on Christ Jesus and the word of God, by the way. <laughs> Verse 6, that, that, why? That you may be, you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this church needs to be of one mind so that it can minister together for the sake of the gospel. That doesn't mean that there can't be differences in opinion over small things. What it means is that there can't be divisions over the important things. That's what it means. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all, and he's talking to a church, a local church, not the body at large, ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We have to be together of one mind, ministering in unity on the important things. And those important things are right here. Some of those things are that this book is perfect. This one right here. <laughs> the one that we have, it's perfect. Every word of it. It's perfect. And because of that, I can know what God is saying. And you know what I know that God says in this book? Salvation is by grace through faith alone. There's no varying point. If you say that salvation is by any other means, I can't, by definition, walk with you. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? And so we have to stand on those important things. It also says that true believers are eternally secure. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, that's a bummer for you. But how can we work together? How can we work together? That's important. We have to stand on that. We have to stand on the fact that God's atonement on the cross is offered to everyone. It is not limited. You have to stand on that. That's important. That's the doctrine of the word of God. This book says there's only one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. That Jesus is equal with God the Father. That the New Testament saint is to be holy as Christ is holy. That the great commission is what we were left here to do. And the great commandment is how we do it. And discipleship is how we multiply believers. We stand in unity on those things. And there's others. But we stand on unity in unity on those things. And book, chapter, and verse in droves can be offered for each one of those doctrinal bulwarks. And others also. By the way, what's not important, it's fine, they're fine, they're not bad things. But what's not important to cause division, so to speak, is your musical preference, your clothing choice, your hairstyle. I, man, I... If, if, if I hear of one more pastor using 1 Corinthians 11 to, to make some young man who's just growing in his faith cut his hair, I, oh, I'm going to puke. <laughs> that happens. That really happens. Your political views, they don't matter. Your, your entertainment choices, they don't matter. Your ego, it doesn't matter. 
Those things don't matter. They're not bad necessarily by themselves, but they can't cause division because they don't matter. Those other things matter, the things that we said before. So don't stumble in silliness over these unimportant things, but rather stand in solidarity on this book. Strive for unity on the doctrines of this book. Ephesians 4, 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavor, strive to keep the unity within this, within this body. Now, if you're in here and you're rather new to FBC, man, praise the Lord for you. That's awesome. I'm so glad you found this church. You've been coming for how long you've been coming. But let, I, I just want to speak for just a second. Just a quick aside to those who have been around here for a little while. A couple years ago, we had something really bad go down. There was division. People were carnal. Things that happened that hurt this body. Um, and there was, a, there was ultimately pruning. But man, church, don't let what happened a couple years ago ever happen again. Don't let it happen. I'm leaving. I love this church too much to see that happen again. And you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ, his wife is the body of Christ. And he loves the body of Christ too much. He loves his wife too much to see her get hurt. So what does that mean? Deacons don't stand for it. Members, don't stand for it. Christians, don't stand for it. Do not allow gossip. I'm being very specific here, by the way, not general. Do not allow gossip, rumors, carnality, pride, heresy, youthful zealots, or wolves in sheep's clothing to stir up strife and cause division in this body. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Because we've got bigger fish to fry. We've got more important things to do. We need to strive for unity. We need to work together in one mind. You do that by standing for truth, for striving for unity, but, but also by submitting to one another in love. Philippians 2, that's the balancing factor here so that we don't just get really excited about being angry. Philippians 2, I know it's easy for Baptists. Philippians 2, 1 through 3. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye, church, in Philippi be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. There it is. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. How do we stay of one mind and of one accord and in unity and the same love, being like-minded? How do we do that? In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's, that's how we do it. We stand for what's important, but we submit to each other in love. That's how we do it, church. So Christian, submit to your brother in Christ. Church, submit to your pastors. Pastors obviously submit to Christ and be of one mind so that this church can minister in unity until the day that Christ comes back. Lastly, number four, live in peace. Live in peace. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. It seems simple, and I think it is, but nowadays it's kind of hard, isn't it? There, I think there's three levels to living in peace. There's peace within your body. There's peace within this body, and then there's peace without, i.e. outside the church. To have peace in your body, you need to let your mind be transformed by the word of God. We've already seen that. Romans 12, 2, Philippians 4. Think on these things, not the world's things, right? And you'll have peace in your mind. Peace within this, this body of Christ requires unity. We just talked about that. Peace without this body, with the world, may seem less important, but man, let me just remind you of Romans 12. Huh, you thought I was going to 13. Romans 12, check this out. Verse 18. If it be possible, there's the qualifier, if it be possible, I guess that's where your liberty comes in, right? As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. 
Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Don't forget that, Christian. The election is always polarizing. Facebook is making society even more polarizing. But don't forget, your neighbor's not your enemy. They're your mission field. Flesh and blood is not your enemy. We war not after flesh and blood, right? Against principalities, against powers. Spiritual wickedness in high places. That's your enemy. The opposing political party isn't even your enemy. It's the ones pulling the strings behind all of this. If it be possible, I know that's a qualifier, but he says, if it be possible, as much lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. He will repay. One day, one day, and you can, man, you can hang your hat on this promise. One day the last will be first, and the first will be last. But for now, live in peace as much as it's within you, if it be possible. Live in peace. Peace of mind, peace in the church, peace with the lost world as long as it's possible. Why? So that we may let our light shine while there is still time left. And the conclusion of Paul's farewell there, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. If this church continues to do these four things, which we have done throughout the history of this church, but if we continue in them and make our ministry and lives about them, the God of love and peace will be with this church. He will continue to be like he has for 162 years. That's a biblical promise. So grow in maturity, trust God's word, minister in unity, and live in peace. That's what I want to leave with you all this morning. So finally, brethren, farewell. My family and I depart, not because we desire to leave you, but because we desire fruit that may abound unto your account. In Acts chapter 18, Paul says to the believers at Ephesus when he's about to leave them, he says, I will return again unto you if God will. And I say the same thing to you. I'll return again to report of the fruit if God will. But if not, I'll see you in the clouds. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So I know you got to know that wasn't easy for him to do, but we're so very excited about what God has in store going forward as well. And while they're changing their address, you know, that's one of the reasons we talked about the prayer support teams and obviously staying connected. We're family, and we're going to continue to be family. And uh, before we move on into the next portion, we're going to be praying for them and commissioning them officially. I, I do want to take a little time and have a, a little brief Bible study. I mean brief, um, because there, there's some things that I want Kale and Brooke to remember, and it's good for all of us to be reminded of, and, I, and it's important enough that I want you to see the biblical foundation and basis from which it comes so that when I make the statements I'm going to make, you'll understand that this really does carry power and authority of the Word of God. And what I want to look at very briefly comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, where Paul told Timothy, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Now, without a, a ton of commentary, I'm going to try really hard and limit my commentary. The, the, the thing that a good Bible student will wrestle with is, what is that gift that's referred to? 
What exactly is that gift that Paul says, don't neglect it, it was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery? And, and let, me just give, let me just jump right into it. I, I believe, and I, and I believe that we'll prove in the next few minutes, that that gift given to Timothy through that moment of the laying on of the hands of the presbytery is actually the gift of ministry leadership, and more specifically, as I'll describe in just a minute. So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul says this, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul specifically refers to a gift that was given to him, and that gift is a specific ministry. It's the grace of God given to Paul to make him a minister, and most specifically, that he would preach the gospel among the Gentiles. It was his specific call to missionary ministry that was the gift that he refers to. And this specific ministry position is the gift which Timothy received at his ordination. So if we go back to 1 Timothy 4.14 and just look at the, the parts of that verse very quickly, uh, I think you'll see that as well. It says, neglect not the gift that is in thee. So whatever this gift is, it becomes a part of who you are now. It's connected with your person. Because this gift connects a person to an office. And that is associated with your person. So that, th therefore, the gift is in you. It's actually a part of you. And it says that it's given thee by prophecy. So when it says that it, this gift is given by prophecy, it cannot possibly be the other spiritual gifts that we all understand that are described in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans chapter 12. Those spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Ghost at the moment of salvation. And they are given to each and every born-again believer. There's no prophetic event associated with those gifts. But what exactly is that prophecy? We don't usually use that terminology around here that much. But whatever this prophecy is, it's something that was pronounced over Timothy at the time of his ordination. You see... That's what we're talking about when it says with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. The laying on of the hands of the presbytery, well, that's, that's biblical ordination. And that word presbytery is a word that's not frequently used, actually. It's only uh, time that that word actually appears is right here in this verse. But what it literally means is a body of elders or a, a council of elders. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 6 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. This is the same kind of event that Paul is referring to with Timothy. So this gift is given at the moment that the presbytery lays hands on a man and prophesies, prays, declares this man as being qualified and set apart for the gospel ministry. 
And the laying on of hands takes us all the way back to the Old Testament. It, it represents a transference. We can go back to the book of Leviticus and, and the various offerings that are described in the book of Leviticus. For example, in chapter number 1 and verse number 4 where it says, And he shall put his hands to the burnt offering. He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. So the priests laying on of their hands, right, the Levites, on the head of the bullock or the goat, as the case might be, transfers the sin of that family that brought that bullock to that bullock. It transfers the sin of the family as though the sin is now placed on the bullock, who then will be slain and the bullock's blood will be shed for that sin. And so similarly, the laying on of hands of the presbytery comes from that understanding and it is a transference. It's the transference of the official position of ministry leadership. And the position of ministry leadership in God's family, it's a very serious matter. God has chosen to delegate his authority to certain men and the, and the scriptural term that's used is that those men would rule over other men. That's, that's something that's very clear throughout. The, now, the, the idea of ruling over doesn't have to have a negative connotation that you might think. It literally just is an, an action that needs to be carried out because biblical elders are to rule. That's what they are to do. We see that in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 7 where it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who are they? Who have spoken unto you the word of God? And what are you to do? Whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation? And Hebrews 13 goes on a little further down in that chapter, in verse 17, and it similarly says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. So the elders are to rule, and they are to rule well, because people can have the authority to rule and not rule well. Cale referred to some events like that when he was talking about unity. At times, people raise up and they don't rule well. So, we are to rule well. That's 1 Timothy 5.17 where it says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Who would be the ones that qualify as ruling well? Well, especially they who labor in the word and in doctrine. You see, those are the ones. That occurs when they rule in accordance with rightly divided doctrine of the word of God. That's how you know. So that responsibility to rule is selected and set in place by biblical ordination, the laying on of hands. That event marks the transfer of authority as God's leader among his people. And it is the literal delegated authority to stand and to speak in the stead of God before God's people. Often people won't listen to other men, so therefore God gives a special gift of the transference of his authority 
to certain men who are going to fulfill certain positions as an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So going back to our original question, what is the gift referred to in 1 Timothy chapter 4? Well, it's the biblical authority that's delegated by God to an ordained minister of the gospel. And since that is God's plan for his church, he gifts these certain men with the grace necessary to carry it out. Now, as godly Christian men, we desire to be humble. And quite frankly, sometimes it's hard to exert authority over others, especially when you know that you yourself are also flawed. Especially if that new leader is a young man like Timothy was following the great apostle Paul. So Paul had to encourage Timothy when he said, neglect not the gift. You know you've received this gift. And the tendency maybe for young Timothy was to neglect it because he's like, well, you know, I'm new, I'm young, I don't know. He says, don't neglect it. At this point in Timothy's life, he'd been given the gift and was serving as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Most certainly, Timothy had his share of challenges leading that church. We know in Acts 20, 28 to 30, that the Ephesian church had false doctrine. We know that Paul forewarned them that there would be grievous wolves that would enter in. Paul warned them that not just wolves coming in from the outside, but there would be men that would rise up from among them to divide the flock. And it had to be tough to lead such a group, especially if you're a younger man, newer to ministry leadership responsibility. And, well, the act you had to follow was the great Apostle Paul. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, leading up to verse 14, it's interesting, Paul tells Timothy in verse number 6 how to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And he enters into this list, starting in verse number 12, where he says, Let no man despise thy youth. In other words, people might assert to despise your youth. Don't let them. Don't let it, don't let it get to you. You assert your authority in loving care that God has given to you. But rather, it goes on in verse 12, be an example of the believers. And... In other words, show them your achieved level of spiritual maturity regardless of your physical age. And it has the list of things that you can demonstrate your maturity through. It says in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. It tells Timothy how he should conduct himself. What are the activities that he should be focused on? Verse 13, give attendance to reading to exhortation, to doctrine. So it appears that young Timothy was potentially, right, intimidated, that he was leading older men. And Paul had to remind him, look, you've already received the gift of biblical authority and your biblical position at your ordination. You see, this gift given to the man at his ordination is necessary so that he can carry out his function as a biblical elder or pastor. You're given that gift for a reason. 
Because you need to use it. You're going to need to use it. So, like Timothy, Cale's a young man. Don't let anybody despise your youth. And don't neglect the gift that God has given to you. Because once a man is set apart and ordained, he carries God's delegated authority to lead God's people. These men, then, that have been selected and set apart and ordained and gifted, these men, then, become God's gift to the church. And that might sound funny to say, but that's exactly what, God, what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 8, where he says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. And then there's a parenthesis, and he comes out of the parentheses in verse number 11, and he describes what those gifts are. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The gifts that were given were specific men with specific ministry positions. Those become God's gift to the church, and God loves his church, and his church needs that help. So the men who have received the specific gift of the biblical authority of an assigned specific ministry leadership position must not neglect it. They must exercise it. So for you, Kale, we ordained you confidently back in 2017. And that was an exciting time. But I revisit all of this today, not because that's going to happen now. This has actually already happened. But now more than ever, you're about to venture out and see yourself in a position to exercise it more than ever before. And I believe the very reason why God has brought you through everything he's brought you through in your life and all the hard work that you've gone through has prepared you for this week and the future that's ahead of you. So the fact that we already laid hands on you and ordained you together with Matt earlier, fantastic, praise the Lord. And that's been in you since then. But now is the time that it's really going to kick in in a way like you've never understood before. And now more than ever before, once you get to your mission field, once you arrive and once you get established and once you start dealing with people, all kinds of situations will pop up in the course of ministry. You understand that. But remember that God has gifted you. He's given you special grace and gift to carry out a work that he needs you to carry out so that he can minister through you to his church. That's an important thing that all of us need to remember as we send them off with our prayers and our love and our continued support. We need to realize what God has done and is doing and will continue to do. It is that important.